Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom and welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program. My name is Robert Walter, and today we're wrapping up our discussion on the Fall Holy Days, or the Fall Feasts. We're going to be learning more about Jewish evangelism. And to help lead this discussion, we have Pastor Junior Ziegler with material that he presented at our Trumpets to Tents conference last year. It was February 2017. I was in Jerusalem. It was my first time. There were 40 people in my church that were there, and, and I came along to do some teaching at different, different locations. I didn't want to go. It was nothing against Israel. I, I, you know, I heard it was cool. My best friends growing up were, were Jewish, are Jewish. They always talked about how great Israel was. Uh, I, I love growing up with Jewish friends. They're like a second family to me. You know, Shabbat was fun and, and Hanukkah. And, but I love playing dreidel and eating Chinese food on Christmas. My, my, my Jewish friends, they were, just, they were a ton of fun. But for some reason, I, I just didn't have, I didn't have the desire to go to Israel. Now, it could have been that my wife had had our third child and didn't, I didn't want to leave the baby with her. It could have been a spiritual battle because little did I know how much that trip would really change me. But regardless of my desire, there I was in, in Jerusalem at the Leonardo Plaza Hotel, about half a mile from the Damascus Gate. It was bedtime. I couldn't sleep. Jet lag had hit. It was getting late. And so I was wide awake and I decided I'd venture out. Went throughout Jerusalem and I got lost. Uh, Palestinian Authority wouldn't let me go into the Temple Mount. And so I just kind of wandered around the neighborhoods. And I found myself in an Orthodox, a Jewish Orthodox neighborhood. At least I think it was a Jewish Orthodox neighborhood. Everybody looked like the old modest Yahoo. So I just kind of assumed it was an Orthodox neighborhood. But for some reason, as I was walking through, the kids were still awake. And they were running around. Uh, It was was cute. They were running around playing tag and uh, in their black and white uniforms. And girls were playing hopscotch. And moms were yelling out the window to their kids probably saying something like, stay away from the homeless man walking down the street. <laughs> but as I was walking through that neighborhood, something happened. And, and I'm guessing you've had this experience. If you haven't, I pray that you do. And maybe, I, maybe you had this experience here. But as I was walking through that neighborhood, my heart broke. That, that hard heart that I brought to this city, it just broke. Looking at all these beautiful little children many of whom have this great awareness and this high view of, of Yahweh and studying, studying his nature in, in school and synagogue, memorizing portions of the Torah. I'm walking down the street and I'm wondering how many of them don't realize the full, fullest, greatest act of love that Yahweh has made for them. Do they, do they know that not far from here, Yahweh in flesh wept over them? Do these kids know this love? Here's a neighborhood filled with people more devout, more disciplined, and more knowledgeable than than me. It's a a chosen neighborhood. And I'm walking through and my heart breaks. And yet this neighborhood represents so many neighborhoods in our world. I didn't need to go to Jerusalem for my heart to break. These neighborhoods and families are all around. So I just wanted to pop up here and ask you, has your heart broken yet? It reminds me of the passage in Luke 19, Luke 19, 41. It's when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, you know, the epicenter of Jewish gathering. I love imagining this scene as Jesus is approaching the the Mount of Olives. It's, you know, up in the Judean mountains and the sun is breaking through the clouds. It's peppering shadows all over the dry, hilly terrain. 
the arid Middle Eastern climate just kind of hits your face, but that cool mountain Jerusalem air just feels so fresh. I imagine Syrian woodpeckers and finches are darting between the olive bushes and the, and the, the almond bushes as the, as the sun makes its way over the Mediterranean horizon. Breathtaking views from up here, but it's all eclipsed by that jewel on the mountain, Jerusalem. And, and Luke, he writes this. He writes, as he, meaning Jesus, approached Jerusalem approached the city and saw the city, the city, I love that, it's the the very hills that Abraham traversed with his son Isaac that day that God provided a ram for sacrifice, the city, the city that David sat and and watched as his general snuck through the water system to lead to victory. It's those very streets that David uh, danced in as the ark was brought in, right here. The beautiful temple of Solomon was built and the very presence of God was indwelt. The city that saw so much destruction decimated by Babylon. It's the city that Daniel was dragged away from as a 17-year-old kid and, and never forgot as he prayed toward this city every day. It's this city. Nehemiah inspected the broken walls with tear-filled eyes. And, and those walls were built with, a, with men carrying a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. It's this city that the psalmist wrote, Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my right hand forget its skill. The city that Joseph and Mary found their 12-year-old sitting with Israel's finest scholars. And there stands Jesus on the Mount of Olives, looking over the city. The prophet Zechariah wrote that the Messiah's feet, when he steps on this mountain, it will split in two. But not today. Today he stares at the city below. The packed marketplaces, the, the temples that's lined with, with people, the temple steps, the kids playing in the streets, just like he used to play in those streets. And his eyes well up with tears and his heart breaks. And Luke writes, he wept. He wept over it. This is not one tear escaping the eye. This is no light cry. The, the word that Luke uses is, uh, in Greek is klio, which means this wailing, this sobbing. It's a, it's a burst of emotions. To which we ask, why? Why is Jesus so emotional? Why, why does he feel so strongly about Jerusalem? Is it just the city? You know, the history here? You know, it's why churches take trips here. I'm about to go over in a, in a couple of weeks, take, take my church over there. I mean, so much history of Hezekiah's tunnel and Nehemiah's walls and, and, and Herod's magnificent temple. Like, is this why Jesus is, is, wants this so bad? Is it the location? Of course not. It's the people. You can't separate the city from its people. This is the epicenter of Jewish people, the destination of pilgrimages. The the city represents its people. It's not the mountain, it's not the walls, it's the people that God provided this place for. It's that neighborhood that I was walking through with the kids all playing. It's the worshipers at the the temple courts. It's It's the crowd at the marketplace. It's all of those faces, every single one of those faces, and the generations that they all represent. It just overwhelms Jesus and he weeps. And Matthew adds that as Jesus weeps, Matthew says, he he cries out, he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broad under her wings. I love that. That's such strong emotional imagery, isn't it? You can almost feel Jesus' emotions here. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You ever see a bird do that? Gathers chicks under its wings? He's saying, I want, I want my people, my chosen people, I want them in my arms, and I want them to know and feel my protection. I want them to be close to Yahweh. I want shalom to be more than just a greeting. I want them to feel it in the deepest part of who they are. 
Like this right here, this is such parental language, isn't it? Jesus is desiring this picture of gathering chosen people in his arms. But he's weeping because he feels this disconnect and it breaks his heart. And that's the thing with broken hearts, is they always lead to sacrifice. Broken hearts lead to sacrifice. I mean, it did with Jesus, didn't it? That broken heart over his desire to gather his people under him, that broken heart led him to the cross, led him to the rock quarry below. It's it's really interesting. Um, There's a potential theme that plays out in Scripture that's often overlooked, actually, right here. See, up on, the, up on the Mount of Olives, Jesus' heart is breaking for his people, and that theme quite possibly connects to something that happens on the cross that Friday. In John 19, John gives the details of the crucifixion. We, we know the details of the crucifixion, you know, the, the, the flogging and, and you know, the Vida de all of that. And he writes, if you remember, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, they take a spear to check that he's dead, and they, and they pierce his, his side. And do you remember what comes out? Water. Water. Water and and blood. It's separated. Now that's medically a very fascinating detail because scholars have wondered, okay, where did the water come from? Where did it come from? Because it didn't come from his stomach. He was dehydrated. It's why he cried out that he thirst. So where did the water come from? Biblical scholars have gotten together with uh, doctors and and just kind of poured over this passage. And there's, uh, there's one reigning theory when it comes to this, that there's a membrane around our heart. And when a heart ruptures, the blood pools in the membrane. And as the blood pools in the membrane, the blood separates from the plasma. So what happens is you have blood, but then you also have this watery, clear substance that separates. This can mean that Jesus, I don't know this for sure, but this can mean that Jesus did not die from asphyxiation like most crucifixion victims did. It was unusual that he had died well before the other victims. His death didn't come from the horrendous pain of crucifixion, though he felt it all. There's big medical terminology for it, but bottom line, I'll just say it, it's very likely that Jesus died from a broken heart. It started on the Mount of Olives, tears dripping down his beard. He surveys the people group. He, He so desires to gather in his arms so they can finally feel shalom, so they can know Yahweh is love, his protection, his plan, his son. And as he sobs, his heart breaks, and that broken heart leads to real sacrifice, a literal broken heart on the cross, hanging above Jerusalem, his arms spread over his people. A broken heart led to sacrifice. And it begs the question, does your heart break for what breaks the very heart of God? Does your heart break for what breaks the heart of God? It's a major part of our sanctification process. As we become more like Jesus, our heart aligns with the heart of God. And the the heart of God is for His chosen people. Is that our heart? God has great emotion for His chosen people who are missing from His family. And God has been on mission for them all throughout Scripture. It led to a literal broken heart on the cross. And God won't give up and God won't give in. Like, I may have great emotion for those in my home. God has even greater emotion for those missing from His. Do we have that heart of God? Do we feel that? Do our hearts break? Do we have this sense of urgency? And are we sacrificing? Because this is the heart of God. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 10.1, he said, My heart's desire and prayer to God is for them meaning the Jewish people, that they may be saved. Well, why, Paul? Is it because you're Jewish? No, I mean, actually, Paul saw much of his ministry mainly for Gentiles. 
Paul wrote this because he understood that this is the heart of God for Jewish people to believe. And it's that heart of God. It must be ours as well. And as they come, which many will, heaven roars. This is the heart of God. Is it ours? Has your heart broken? I I, want to finish with the words of the prophet Isaiah. I love this. He says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The Lord will take delight in you and your land, and you will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen at your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her praise of the earth. That is the heart of God. It is broken and it is plastered throughout Scripture. We cannot ignore it. It cannot go unnoticed. We cannot read his words and walk away unchanged. The very heart of Yahweh is broken. Ours must be too. You might feel disheartened because I realize, I know, reaching out to Jewish people requires... Sometimes more patience and tact than most people are willing to have. Don't let up. God in flesh came before us. He modeled what it takes. And it starts with a broken heart. And so, God, we pray, break ours. Whether it's the first time or the tenth time, we ask that you break our hearts for what breaks yours. Regardless of geopolitical pressure, regardless of lack of fruit, your plan is still active. Your promise is still true. We are your servants Please align our hearts with yours. God asks that you bless chosen people, bless uh, the ministry to chosen people. Give us wisdom for we need it. We ask that you do something great. And we pray this in the name of the one who wept, Jesus Christ. Amen. Simcha Torah means joy of the Torah. The Jewish community celebrates this holiday after the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. On Simcha Torah, Jewish people in synagogues all around the world read the last Torah portion for the year, Moses' blessings over the tribes of Israel at the end of Deuteronomy, before rolling the scroll back all the way to the very beginning of Genesis when God created the world. This holiday marks the end of one reading cycle and the start of the next. The first few chapters of Genesis are read on the following Sabbath. Simcha Torah is a joyful celebration. Some Jewish people dance in synagogues while carrying the Torah scroll to express gratitude for the gifts of God's words. Here are two reasons why the word of God should be important in our lives. One, We know God best when we study his words. And two, there is power in the word of God. God is personal with his worshipers. He revealed himself as, I am who I am. And to help his people know him better, he gave them his direction, the Torah. Though Torah is often translated as law, it also means instruction. It was the first time in history that a faith had a written code and it directly reflects God's character. God spoke because he wanted the people of Israel to know him intimately. The words he gave are for our benefit today as well. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 reads, He humbled you and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The Messiah Jesus, whose name is Yeshua in Hebrew, said these same verses when the enemy tempted him in the wilderness as described in Matthew 4 verse 4. Yeshua not only knows God, his Father's word, but he is the embodied word of God. As God's incarnate word, Jesus dwelled or tabernacled among us. John chapter 1 verse 14 reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What happens when we, as believers in Yeshua, place a high value on the words God gave us? What if we were to fully recognize the embodiment of the word of God, Yeshua? How would we live our lives now as followers of Messiah? As we approach Simchat Torah this year, let us delight in God's word, both written and incarnate. The King of the universe revealed himself to us and wants to dwell with us. Now, that is a cause for rejoicing. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. Here at Chosen People Ministries, we hear from a lot of Jewish people who have found the Messiah. And right now, we'd like to share one of those stories with you. I come from a Persian Jewish family. I lived in Iran for the first 15 years of my life. Growing up in Iran in a Jewish family, we did celebrate all the Jewish holidays. We went to all the scripture and we read the, uh, the Haggadah and we read the, uh, we went to stay there. So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. At the age of 15, I came to United States, never really got adjusted. I was homesick, I was depressed, also was very worried about my parents. The whole country went to the chaos and the revolution, and it was the beginning of that whole ordeal. I did not really have a good friend, good close friends. I did not have uh, people that I could relate to. Basically a loner for a long time. As I was living in an apartment complex with uh, my brother, there were a few uh, guys there that really f were nice and kind. And so little by little, I did befriend them and we became good friends. Uh, one of the guys, his name was Tom, he asked me whether or not I was interested to find out about uh, the Jewish Messiah. To me, I was a Jew. I believed in Moses, I believed in God, I had no idea whatsoever who this Yeshua or Jesus was. I was very surprised when I was introduced to the New Testament scripture. I saw how all the writers of the New Testament were Jews. When I read the words of Yeshua and what he's taught and proclaimed, I was like so bowed about it. He claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. With all my heart, I remember vividly that I really told God that, God, if you're real and if Yeshua is real, I'd like to know about it. I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want you to 
show me whether or not he is the Jewish Messiah. I was reading both the Hebrew scripture and the Bible and comparing the two and uh, it took a while, maybe about three months, but I finally uh, was convinced that Yeshua is the Messiah. That was just a, like a wow moment for me. It was just incredible. I said, yes, I do believe that Yeshua is who he claimed to be and uh, then I would like to get to know him and accept him into my life. I felt a joy that was missing in my life. I felt hope in my life. I felt that there is something within me that is now directing me and close, making me a, in a close relationship with God. And I really felt that uh, that presence in my life, a presence, godly presence, spiritual presence that I never had experienced before. My older brother and my uncle were totally opposed and against my belief. They felt that I'm betrayed, betraying my faith and them and just been brainwashed and I was told I could not associate with any of Messianic believers or people who believe in Yeshua. I was forbidden to read my scripture. I was totally alienated from uh, my faith. I started to associate with what I usually call not so kosher people. Three of my best friends were the three biggest drug dealers. Basically, my life was about partying and having fun. It didn't take long that I became a drug addict, compulsive gambler. The matter got worse and worse and worse. I became an alcoholic. Ended up uh, incarcerated and in prison. I was totally insane. I was uh, totally without God. But I knew that the only thing that will restore my insanity and my way of life to what it was, was Yeshua and his love. I vividly heard, heard God's voice that he's calling me back. And that's when I knew that God has a purpose and a call on my life. Through all my insanity and the things I was doing before I recommitted my life back to God, I'm so happy and so wonderfully blessed for being where I am in my life, free from all my different addictions and issues I had in my life, totally free in Yeshua. It's very hard to explain how amazingly thankful and blessed I am about that. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, the holidays are right around the corner, and if you'd like to give your friends or family a unique gift that will inspire and encourage them this year, then be sure to stop by our online store. You'll find us at chosenpeople.com radio. And while you're there, ask for your copy of Lawrence Hirsch's photo book, Israel, the Land and the People. It's yours free of charge just for connecting with us today. That's right. Our listening family can get this book for free online by visiting chosenpeople.com slash radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or request your free book. You're going to like this book. This is really worth getting. 888-293-7482. Call 888-293-7482. And when you reach out today, 
don't forget to let us know where and how you're listening to this program. Now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.